I'm your host, Rena Friedman-Watts, and this is the Better Call Daddy Show. Hey, this is Big Daddy, Wayne Friedman. That's my grandpa. Grandpa, you ready for more daddy drama? My dad is my number one hero and number one fan. And I'm a pretty cool dude. All right, season four, baby, here we go. More stories you're not going to believe. And maybe you will after you listen. Five stars. Five and a half stars, two thumbs up. You are a pretty cool dude. Love you, mommy. Don't stand on the table and damn the public. You'll get some words of wisdom to live by. Here we go again. Better call daddy. You know what your problem is? You like me. Yeah, I do. Each week, I interview a guest, share the stories with my dad, and then he weighs in at the end of every episode with his wisdom and wit. Thanks, Grandpa. Everyone from influential players to inspirational fathers, and of course, controversial people. Grandpa, my mom is calling. Creating that legacy one call at a time. And welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. Stay tuned. Where's the music? Better call daddy cause he knows your best. Better call daddy cause he's bringing the test. He sees possibilities. Better call daddy, he'll be by your side. Better call daddy, you're the apple of his eye. He sees possibilities. Oh, Today's guest, Tamara Miller Davis, is a heartfelt episode. She is the indie author of Despite the Buzz. She's a mom, a tremendous supporter of mine, and she's going to teach you how to reflect on the fundamentals of life and communicate them properly. Tamara, welcome to the Better Call Daddy show. I want to know, Tamara, <laughs> you're a veteran and a mom and a daddy's girl. Tell me about all of those things. Thank you. Yeah, I'm originally from Michigan. I live in California now. I joined the Coast Guard when I was 18 and enlisted for four years. So I did search and rescue and hazmat training and response, marine radio dispatch. It was a great experience and it paid for my college. So that's my veteran story. I was out on big waters in a 47-foot lifeboat doing search and rescue. And that's how I met my husband. So one thing leads to another in life, I guess. <laughs> 18 years old on a big search and rescue boat. I mean, you were a baby. Yeah. It was formative, for sure. What do you remember from that now? Well, the first two years, it was a growing up experience, you know, learning to be away from home and around these different, very masculine personalities and just figuring out who I was and where I wanted to go in life. And then the latter two years, I was trained as a yeoman, which is an administrative assistant. So I had a regular day job. I was working with higher ranking people. I got to do all kinds of cool training. And that was a different experience. It was land-based. And I was with my husband at that time. So just like two completely different experiences that were both good for my self-development, I guess, and professionalism. And it helped me get to college and pay for that. Yeah. Is that why you decided to join? Like what drew you to that area of service? I like the Coast Guard because it's a life-saving service out of the branches that appealed to me. And I knew it would be a good start regarding having a job, having a paycheck, getting an allowance for housing and food, and just feeling sort of cared for, even though I was on my own. 
And so it was adventuresome. It was my ticket out of Michigan, which I've missed since, but it got me out here to California and I just wanted to take that ride. (laughs) Oh my gosh, crazy ride to see. I mean, oh my gosh, you met your husband. So that worked out and you guys have been married since you were young. Yeah. 21 going down 22. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Long time. So that got me down here to Southern California because that's where he's from. And that's where I went to college and began my teaching jobs. And we have kids now. So, yeah. Okay. I want to hear a little bit about how he courted you, how that all came to be. (laughs) Well, we were just friends for the better part of the time that we served at that station together. And then he was getting stationed or actually he was finishing his enlistment because he's older than me and he started two years before me and was at a different location before that one where we met. And so he was joining the Forest Service and a roommate and I, a coworker and I were talking about like, who would you want to date here at the station? And that kind of, you know, young girl stuff. And we made a list of like, who would you date? Who would you screw around with? And who would you marry? And the only person on the marry list was my husband. He was the only one who made the cut. And before that, like brainstorm with my friend, which was just for fun, we were like killing time at work, you know, I hadn't really considered him seriously, but he had endearing qualities that made him worth considering. So I guess that's where it began. That's cute. What are his endearing qualities and are they still there? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's hardworking. He's generous. He's poetic. He's also a writer, not so prolific as I am, but he would like to write a memoir someday about his time in the fire service. So I hope he does. And he comes from a good upbringing. I respect his parents. And I don't know, I just saw potential in our relationship. We connected at the station eventually, you know, and so we went skiing together and we went on a trip to Southern California together. And then when he joined the forest service, we had a long distance relationship for about six months. How was that? It was tricky because we'd have to drive like 10 hours to see each other, maybe longer. I forget the exact distance, but it was a drive for sure. And And get um, to be young. Yeah. And this was back, you know, before smartphones. We did have cell phones and like basic texting, you know, but before any of that. So after those six months, I went to the trade school that I mentioned before to become a yeoman. And then I got an ideal spot. I was interviewed for the position. And thankfully, we ended up in the Bay Area and he was able to go to paramedic school there while I was finishing my two years. Wow. So you guys are both really into service. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, you've been a summer camp counselor and a substitute teacher, and you've served the country. Where do you think that came from, like your love of service? That's a good question. My mom is a real support person, maybe from that, just the way that she shows up for people through phone calls and cards and, you know, remembers their birthdays and that kind of a thing. So maybe that sparked my interest in being a service-oriented person. And I like to show up for people. I like to show up for myself as well, you know, sitting here with you and just supporting causes I care about, supporting loved ones, the community, the school where my kids go, and so forth. It brings me joy and feels purposeful. That's great. What was your childhood like in Um, Michigan? What do you remember about growing up there pre-cell phone? (laughs) Yeah. You know, we walked long distances to see if our friends were in town. (laughs) 
<laughs> we didn't know who would be there when we got there. It was a small town in rural northern Michigan. And my friend and I would walk all the way around the lake just to see if anybody was there. And I'm glad I had that upbringing that wasn't tied to a phone and that mystery of like going to the party and wondering if your crush would be there and that sort of a thing. I rollerbladed. I rode my bike. It was outdoorsy. We downhill skied and did things like that. It was a small school that I went to, a small public school. And I'm thankful for that because, you know, the small class settings and everything. Yeah, you probably didn't have any active shooter drills, right? No, not back then. And I don't know if they do now at that school. I imagine they might, but not then. Yeah. I grew up in Kentucky where I used to walk long distances to see if my friends were home too. Mm -hmm. No cell phone, no beeper. Right? Yeah. I mean, I did have a landline in my room, which was pretty awesome because it was one of those see-through phones. Remember those? And you could see like the wires and stuff. That was cool. <laughs> where did your interest start with wanting to study technology? So as a substitute teacher and as a parent with growing kids, I saw the tech was taking on everybody, students and teachers included, and myself. And I just wanted to explore that topic from different angles and present it creatively so that readers could reflect upon their own tech use and, you know, maybe make some changes or implement some structure for their kids or not. It's a novel that I wrote. So even though that is the backbone of it, it gets into other timely topics as well and character development. And there's an exciting twist, as you know. So there's a lot to the book. I often talk about technology's influence because I care about that cause. But I will say it's a colorful story about media's influence. It's a multimedia novel. It's a mixed media piece with art and color and varied formatting. So that was my vision. Yeah, I love the illustrations. And I heard on another interview that some of your kids participated in drawing some of them. Thank you. Yeah, I hired my kids to each submit something. I think I paid them each like $10. And that was cool. And they like that because when we go to a book event, if one of their friends come along, you know, they're like, oh, look, I'm on page such and such. I did this drawing. So that's special to me. That's really cool. Have you involved your kids in any other aspects of your work? My daughter often accompanies me to book events. She'll help me set up the display like that is her jam. She likes to arrange the bookmarks and, you know, the flyers and so forth. And she doesn't want me to get involved like that. She likes to just put it all up for me. And I appreciate that. So she has tagged along with me a lot on this journey. And I hope it's empowering for her to see her mom doing that. She hasn't exactly articulated that, but I hope so. And my son reads my articles that I write for the Mom Collective. So I'll print them out for him and just to show him, you know, what I'm writing about and that kind of a thing. Have they kind of expressed their own talents in any other ways that excite you? Yeah, they both love to draw. And my son made a commitment this summer to draw every day. And he did that for a while. And I'm proud of him for doing that. So they're both musical I don't play an instrument, but they're learning to play. My son plays the drums and my daughter is learning the violin and they both kind of pick up the keyboard piano. So I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes. That's really cool. Yeah, I feel like my parents tried to put me in so many different after school activities. And as a mom of four right now, I'm just happy if I can get each kid in one activity. Right. <laughs> it's a lot sometimes. 
Yeah, yeah. But I loved in the book, you're encouraging others to journal and to write and to be creative. Exactly. I'm glad that came across. Thank you for expressing it. I really wanted to make a pitch for writing in a long-handed, reflective form because so often these days, you know, we send a short text or a social media caption. I try to be thoughtful about my captions, but you know, some people just do a quick little thing and that's fine because that's the forum. But I think journaling is still important just to journal for yourself and you don't have to share it. In the story, there is a notebook that each student keeps and it's a two-part notebook one part for themselves that isn't looked at by others and the other part to share with the teacher or or classmates. And I just wanted to show that it's worthwhile to write for yourself for clarity and therapy, really. Yes. Yes. Have you found both of those things in your writing, clarity and therapy? For sure. Yeah. I've always been a journaler and I know that people gain clarity through other mechanisms, walking, surfing, you know, you name it. But I'm a writer and that's what works for me. And I think that it works for many others. So I definitely wanted to encourage that. And the students in the story contribute to it in meaningful ways through letters, through journal writing, and also dialogue. But the written form is there. And that was part of my vision as well. Yeah, I loved the letters to the president idea. I actually asked my kids, if you could write the president, what idea would you come up with? What topic would you cover? I think that that is such an interesting idea. Even if you were to write a congressperson, if you were to write someone in office, what do you think they need to tackle? I think that is such a good idea. Thank you. Yeah. In the class, it gives the students a real world objective to write to somebody about a concern that they have. And for me as a writer, it helped me develop the personalities of the characters based on their concerns. And, you know, they write to an unnamed president, but the story is set in the fall of 2019. So it's still relevant. And those concerns that they have are still hot topics. And I think it's great for kids to write to somebody and actually mail it. Like you said, it could be to any government representative or even a local person who's in a position of power. Have you actually done that yourself? I sent a copy of the book to the First Lady, and I've sent a copy to other people that I admire. So yeah, I have written letters electronically to some government officials and handwritten. Have I ever done that like as a student? I'm not sure, but my professors in college did give me some real world opportunities to write. I wrote an article for a hometown paper about the water in the river and how it was dirty and, you know, my thoughts on that. So that definitely sparked the idea. Interesting. Also, I heard you say that the teacher in the book was named after a teacher who made a big impact in your life. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So I honor several people in the book. And the main character is named after a teacher that I worked with at summer camp while teaching ESL together. And she developed cancer that summer, discovered it and did not return the following summer. So I wanted to honor her. And the main character, her last name is after the teacher that I'm speaking about. So that and then also the main character's mom is named in honor of an author that I admire from Chicago, Amy Krauss Rosenthal. Did you reach out to her at all? Well, she has passed away as well of cancer. Oh, I didn't know that. mm -hmm. So I did reach out to her daughter. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I feel like you've talked about a lot of people who have inspired you. I heard you talk about Brene Brown and Elizabeth Gilbert, you said, was a big influence of yours. Have you tried to reach out to either one of them? 
Geez, not really. I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe in my early days, I tried to get somewhere with that, but you know, they're so big. I haven't had luck with that yet. So we'll see. Elizabeth Gilbert, her podcast, Magic Lessons, I think it's called, and her novel or her book, Big Magic, really inspired me to put myself out there, to take the risk. And that definitely ignited me in the early days of writing this. Yeah, I would love to know just a little bit about the writing process for you. Okay, so I got one of my original ideas, the one for the twist, upon seeing something on the news and seeing different iterations of that on the news over time, and then thinking, what if? And then I dared myself to explore the what if in writing. So that was one of my original ideas. The other thing that came early on was the last page of the book. It's a letter from the main character's mom, even though she's deceased. And so when I wrote that, I cried. When I read it now, I'll still cry. And I think it's so important to leave things like that for your children, letters to them so they still exist after you're gone or journals or something. So the mom left all of her journals to her daughter, who is the teacher in the story. And the daughter keeps a correspondence with her mom, as you know, through writing. Even though her mom is long gone, she keeps that thread alive, so to speak, by writing to her mom. So the writing process, those were two of my ideas. And I got a laptop in 2016 for Christmas. And in 2017, I made a New Year's resolution to write a novel. So that's when I started fleshing out the characters, dedicating a space for myself and calling myself a writer. So owning it and saying I'm a writer was hard for me because I'm also a mom and I'm a sub teacher and I'm a volunteer on the parent club and this and that. And it was almost like audacious of me to say, I'm going to sit down and write. I'm going to take time to do this. But looking back, I really am glad I did it because I furthered myself professionally and personally through that process. What would you tell someone who wants to write a book? I would say make time, make space, own it, and also join some groups, some writing groups or publishing groups, because getting those kind of emails and participating in webinars and so on, it's exciting to think that you're part of something and these people are doing it and you can learn from them. And I think that's empowering. What are your thoughts about AI taking over writing? Oh, man, it's scary. Yeah, I'm still processing that and how that's all going to play out. So I don't have a real definite answer for that. I just think we'll see. I think that teachers and everybody in the field of education will have to do their best to screen for plagiarism and cheating and so forth. And hopefully students have integrity and continue to write for themselves and, you know, so cite their sources, give credit words due and all of that. So my son's in eighth grade. And last night I went to back to school night and one of the teachers spoke about it and he said, his approach is to sort of embrace it and to use AI to like maybe generate an outline for a research paper. And then the kids actually do the research themselves and so forth. So that way he's not totally depriving them of using it. And that way they won't be as apt to rebel, you know, and try to do it anyway and sneak around it. So that's his approach. And I respect him as a teacher. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, last night, my son, who's in sixth grade, he had a list of vocabulary words that he had to write sentences for. He had to define them and write sentences for them. And some of them I needed a little assistance with. So Sure. <laughs> so I typed into ChatGPT, like, write a sentence with this word, right? 
But that just gives you an idea of where to go with it. Yeah, it's out there. It's possible. I mean, hopefully people will hold themselves accountable and just, you know, do the work and everything. But even today, it's so easy to look up a word on the internet on your phone versus getting out the old school dictionary. I mean, we have an English and a Spanish dictionary and I try to get my kids to use it them, but they're like, what the heck, mom, we can just use the computer. We have a home computer that they use and it's true. It is a shortcut to use electronic devices to look things up and to come up with the answers. But most of the time, I think it's worthwhile. The same thing with summer reading. I mean, it's a lot quicker to get the book, listen to it on audio, and for my kids to go through the book while listening. And I feel like, is that that wrong? I mean, they're trying their best to do it. I think that's fine because... Audiobooks increase access to content, and I don't see it as a cheat. I just see it as another way to present the information. And some people are audio learners, so they learn better through listening. And if you're showing them the book, too, and they're looking through it, then they're getting two ways to access the content. I think that's great. I like old-fashioned books, you know, picking up a paperback. But I also appreciate listening to an audiobook on a road trip. So, yeah, I don't screen read. That's something I just don't do. As I don't have an e-reader. It's not for me. I get that it increases access and that's fine. It's just not for me. In researching for your book around some of the topics that you covered, what did you learn about cell phone use and technology? Yeah. So I learned that it can be very addicting, obviously distracting. It can mess with people's sleep. It can, you know, lead to insomnia, can lead to depression and anxiety because of the comparison on social media, can lead to kids seeing things they shouldn't before they're old enough. And what else? Body image issues. And of course, tech is a tool that we can and do use. I'm encouraging people to use it smartly thoughtfully, intentionally, and so forth. You yourself do limit your own use of it. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So in marketing this book, it's been tricky because people use social media now. And I didn't join Instagram actually until right before my book launch. Friends have been telling me, oh, you should join. It's different than Facebook. And I had been on Facebook as just a person, you know, with friends and family. And I thought, why do I need a second thing like that? It's redundant. But now I see that it is good for networking and it is good for professional use. So I'm only on Facebook with my private account and my book page, my professional author page and Instagram. I did join LinkedIn in recent years and I'm on Goodreads, of course, as an author. And I think that's about it. I've never been on Snapchat, Twitter or TikTok. I just have to limit myself because If I get on those platforms, I'll want to learn them. I'll want to do it well. And I just think it will be a rabbit hole. So as of today, I haven't. And some people might critique me and say, you should as an author. And I know there's book talk that's out there. But for me, I just have to be in alignment with my values and in alignment with what I'm talking about in the book, which is setting limits for yourself, setting boundaries and having structure for your kids. So that's how I'm going about it. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about your values. Well, regarding screen time, like our kids have to apply for screen time during the summer. They have to like do chores first. They have to do something creative and educational. So I'll make a list of things, you know, like 
call grandma. That's one thing, you know, to stay in touch that I think is worth the time and or make a card for somebody and do something educational, such as reading. Reading checks that box. And journal, we keep a shared journal, a gratitude journal for the family. The kids won't naturally write in there unless I prompt them like, hey guys, we're doing an entry today, that kind of a thing. So then, you know, they can have screen time, but it's limited. So I set a timer. My daughter watches TV and my son plays video games with his friends while talking on our home phone. So we do have a home phone, which bridged the gap because I signed the wait until eighth pledge for him. So because most of his friends have cell phones now, it's like, okay, I get it. He's in middle school. He wants to be social. So the home phone has really worked well and it's set up through our internet. It's inexpensive. And we just have like the old school cordless, you know, phone. We have two of them and one line. And that way he has a number. It's his voice on the voicemail. It's his phone, so to speak, you know, and he can chat with his buddies while playing video games. And I think I prefer that to him texting his buddies. I mean, I know that's coming, but right now he has to call him. It's the only way. It sounds like some of your teaching has come into the home. (laughs) Well, I guess I'm a teacher by heart. And I honestly, I don't think I know anyone other than my grandma that still has like a cordless phone. I mean, (laughs) probably his friends are like enamored by it. Yeah, my mom still has a home phone, but yeah, you're right. Not many people do. And it's been good because as I started leaving the house to get groceries and stuff and leaving them home alone, I felt better too that that was there for safety and I could call and check in because otherwise they wouldn't have a phone at all. So it served that purpose as well. That's interesting. I am also interested in how you've gotten your kids to participate in journaling. (laughs) Because it's a prerequisite to getting screen time. That's one way. Also, my daughter likes it. She likes keeping a journal. And I think when you build something into your dynamic, your program, your structure in the home, the kids will eventually adopt it. Do you give them prompts? Like you kind of said a little bit of that. What have you learned about your kids by doing the journaling? My son is short. He's brief with it. You know, I'll say right about summer, you know, and he'll do like three sentences. I'm grateful for my pets, my family pizza, whatever, you know, my daughter will do a longer entry. So it's just to get them to reflect upon something and to articulate it. And I think that's a good skill. Did you do that as a child? Did your parents make you journal? No, I did it on my own. Did you have any rules growing up to get screen time? No. I mean, we just had the TV, 90210, whatever, (laughs) Roseanne, whatever was popular back then. We did have a Nintendo. And my brother and I would play that sometimes. We had Duck Hunt and Mario and that kind of thing. So I don't remember rules around that. I'm sure we couldn't like always be playing Nintendo, but I don't remember any hard set rules. Do you see your parents in who you've become? Sometimes. I mean, I think I'm my own person for sure. But yeah, they influenced me in several ways. My dad is, well, they're both hardworking. My dad is outdoorsy and adventurous. He scuba dives. I don't scuba dive, but I enjoy snorkeling. He's a traveler. Definitely that influenced me. I enjoy traveling. 
he's a do-it-yourselfer and that's inspiring to me. Like he'll figure it out. He'll find a way to do it inexpensively and do it himself. He's an engineer. So that I admire. My mom is very heartwarming. Like I already mentioned, she is the person who sends the birthday cards and makes the phone calls and keeps in touch with people for life. And I am like that too. It's hard for me to let go of people. Once I've built a relationship with somebody, I like to continue it if possible. That can be time consuming, but it feels good to me. That's really sweet. I love that. I also really love your branding. One of the book, two, that you sent me like a handwritten note that said, you know, this is the old school text message. And I loved the one sheet. Who helped you develop your brand? How did that evolve? Yeah. So I am a dance enthusiast and I'm part of a dance group and we call ourselves a sisterhood. We've become pretty close knit over the years. And our main dance teacher has a background in graphic design. And she's always been good with having her own website and sending newsletters and that kind of a thing. So when I decided I wanted to have a website, she helped me with that and helped me figure out how to use newsletters for marketing and that sort of a thing. So I would say she helped also my friend Sharmila, who lended me her mic today. She interviewed me for my first podcast and just seeing Sharmilla. her. Is that, did Sharmilla. I say it right? Sharmila. Thanks, Sharmila. <laughs> yeah, she has the Confident Healer podcast and she was the first to interview me. And so seeing these women put themselves out there creatively, other people do different things around town, that has been inspiring and empowering for me. I love that. Yeah, great job on the branding. And what is the dream now? What are you working on now? I did hear you say that you do some blogging locally and you write some other articles. Do you have another book in you? You're going to help your husband with the memoir? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for asking. Yeah, I like having a regular reason to write for the Mom Collective every month. And you can follow them on social media, Ventura County Mom Collective. Also, I've written for a Northern Michigan Woman magazine, and I had an article come out yesterday. The title is Leaving and Returning Home, The Romance and Reality of It. Ooh, give me a little of that. That came to be because we took a big road trip there this summer, and I always try to make the most of my time there because, you know, it's expensive to get there. We can only do it when the kids are on break and it takes a lot of planning for my husband to get the time off work and everything. So it's very precious to me and it's almost stressful because I'm asking myself, am I making the most of this moment? Should I do A or should I do B? And my parents are divorced, so I divide the time between them. And so with that in mind, and while traveling back, I had the idea to write this article. And it's been a long time coming. So I pitched it to the editor. And I had gone to a wellness retreat with the editor and some of the other people on the publishing team there while I was in Michigan. And so we've developed a sort of relationship too. So I was happy for the opportunity to write for them again. Can you tell me a little bit about what the article says? (laughs) Just basically that, that when I go home to Michigan, I still call it home. I feel like I can go back to a younger self and I can be among childhood friends and kind of shed some of the weight of adulthood and the responsibilities therein. However, the reality is people aged. My parents both had heart surgeries and I've lost friends in that hometown, sadly, some recently. And so you know, it's both sides of that coin. It's being there and sort of getting to 
relive those memories and be with those people again. But it's also a reality check that we're all getting older and nothing lasts forever. We've lost some people along the way. Do you feel like you know why you're here? On this earth? Yeah. That's deep. I think I am a support person and I'm a writer. And I think by doing that and putting myself out there, it hopefully inspires others to do the same and to follow their creative passions. That's beautiful. I love that. I love that you call yourself a writer and you totally inspire me in the way that you put yourself out there. So thank you for that. Is there anything that you would like to ask my dad? (laughs) Thank you. You inspire me too. You are so supportive of other people. I notice it. I see it. And you're out there using stories to connect people. And that's awesome because we can find common ground through stories. We can find the overlap and we can foster relationships and cultivate empathy and become better people through stories, through storytelling, through listening to nonfiction and to reading fiction, all of it. I love it. Yes, totally. Also, I love dancing. Like yesterday, two of my calls canceled and I literally turned on Shine Fitness on YouTube and I danced for like 45 minutes in the comfort of my home and I was sweating to good music. (laughs) That's awesome. I love it. (laughs) What what kind of dance do you do? Nowadays, I just do like a Zumba-esque class. I used to do Bollywood, which was fun. Yeah. So that was a learning curve for me to learn the mudras and, you know, kind of the cultural aspects behind it. And it was good for me to challenge myself to get on stage and participate with the team, so to speak, and learn the choreography. But I've kind of let that go right now because I can only do so much creatively. So I've been focusing on writing. That's cool. I actually wanted to take a Bollywood class. I had my daughter take one. And so, yeah, they have those classes nearby my house. It's really cool. I'm going to try it. Yay. I think you'll like it. Amazing. Yeah, that's cool that you did that. It would be out of my comfort zone, too, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to friends and just willpower, I guess. Yeah. Just one more side comment, too. It's funny that in your book, you use the word InstaFace because I think my mom literally in Florida, like we were just visiting my 95-year-old grandmother and she's like, have you heard of InstaFace? I swear <laughs> to God, she literally <laughs> said that. She was like, maybe you should be on there to advertise. I was like, I'm on there, mom. <laughs> That's so great. Oh, I love it. <laughs> But yeah, you know, like she's still small town and living in Kentucky and doesn't need all of the social media. So there still are people like that. And I think going home, like you mentioned in Michigan, for me, it is major memory lane. Like my parents have lived there in my entire life. And when I go home too, like my room still looks the same as it did in fifth grade. And it's a super reflective time for me. I also think about the people that I used to hang out with and the streets I used to take and the Dairy Queen that I used to work at just closed down. And I even felt sad about that. Yeah, for sure. My book is multi-generational. I think it appeals to parents and grandparents. And I would say for readers older than 14, some high schoolers would enjoy it. And as long as they're mature enough to handle the the adult content, but it's multi-generational because like your dad, he has seen all of these changes take place and he's watched how it has influenced you and your kids. And, you know, it is changing the way that we think, the way that we behave. I mean, tech is changing the way that we think and behave and act toward each other. And so that's what I wanted to explore is like, 
Are those changes good, bad, in between? It just interests me. I love the multi-generational approach. And I actually was working out with my daughter last night. And I was like, even though this is for 14-year-olds, you watch Shameless, you should read this. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, as long as the parents are fine with it, that's cool. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Let people know how they can find it and connect with you on Instaface. Yes. Thank you. I am on Instagram as Tamara Miller Davis. And then on Facebook, it's Despite the Buzz, the title of the novel. And the website's easy to remember, just despitethebuzz.com. And the book and I are both on Goodreads. You can find it on Amazon, bookshop.org, Barnes & Noble. And most indie bookstores either carry it or it can be ordered through the indie bookstore. So I am an indie author, so I want to champion that and promote indie stores. Indie author meets indie podcaster. I love it. Yay! High five. (laughs) Thank you so much. I've loved having you on. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm glad that we connected. And if your dad has any thoughts on this, just, you know, what's happening today versus yesterday, what's good and what's promising, that would be awesome. He definitely will have something to say. Yes, I think that he will have like a soul connection, especially what you talked about with the Michigan part. He'll love that. Good. Thank you. And as you saw in the book, my main character gives credit to her dad. He is wise and philosophical. He's a big reader and he's a fisherman and they have a good relationship in the book and he's there for her. So I just wanted to express that. Yeah, that's really sweet. You've heard from my mom. Now let's switch it over to grandpa. All right. This is Tamara. Is that right? Mm Mm-hmm. And she's a person who's a writer, and her form of communication is really being able to express herself. And she even tells you that it's a form of therapy as well. That communication, getting your ideas out, are good to share with other people. But sometimes it's good to even just share with yourself on how you really feel about things. And writing things down and reviewing things, isn't that what we do when we take notes about different things? And then we formulate from our notes a conclusion. And usually, sometimes we rewrite things two or three times before we really figure it out. And to get people to write things down and to express themselves is something that we used to do when we were growing up during my generation. It seems that we do less of it now because it's all automatic, right? On the computer, you don't even have to uh, read a newspaper. It's all flashing on the screen. We have communication breakout, but we shouldn't forget the fundamentals of how we think. And that's really a way to express not only your views and views of others, but that's how you also build your own skills to be able to express yourself. So I really like the idea also that she has her children participate and what she's doing and getting them to be creative and think for themselves by doing the same thing. And I think that this is also something that is a taste of wisdom to pass on and is part of her legacy to her children. I found it very interesting that there was different clashes between her parents. I'm reading between the lines a little bit, but she has that independence and doing things on her own like her father. And yet her mom is considerate of others and is very kind and thoughtful. And she tries to really incorporate that as well, where she's really 
trying to be a blend of both mythologies. But isn't it interesting how people that go into the service at a young age learn that discipline, learn that camaraderieship, and learn how to really get along with other people. And it gives you that theme of that it's not just about you, that there's a bigger picture to things. And I'd like to say the same thing about playing team sports or getting involved where you're participating, even if it's just singing and dancing with a group. She says that if you want to write a book, don't just think about what you're doing about it, get the ideas of others. You can learn from others that have similar viewpoints, also similar passions of what you want to do, whether it's, again, back to playing sports or playing chess. There's like a camaraderie ship or playing music, getting involved with people with similar interests help you develop your interests better too. So these are all really important lessons that come out of this beautiful interview that you had. And she is really torn a little bit about sometimes coming home and seeing how fragile life really is, that she has memories of her youth and how everybody was like that and how some of her friends have passed away and how her mom and dad have gotten older and her mom has gotten sick where she's not even sure of her durability at this time, or at least for this show. And that again shows her trait of wanting to be kind and wanting to be compassionate of people. I like also how she wants people to get involved with their community and her writing, where she correlates it. Let's write to a congressman. Let's write to a president. Let's write to someone that you really have respect for and express yourself rather than taking out to the streets, as you know, that we've had in previous conversations where we stomp around telling our point of view by pushing people around or yelling on the top of our lungs. She's telling you that you can be more effective if you can write it down and communicate it. And she's really very proud of you also about the Better Call Daddy show where you have a chance to get people's stories and have a realistic sharing of stories and real life experiences where you cover information over a broad front and where people can really learn from your show and understand people better too. So it's a very nice compliment that the podcasting, writing books, getting together with groups and sharing ideas is the way we can all improve ourselves and all gain a few wisdom points. I love how she sent the book to people that she's inspired by. And she also gave a copy to her mom. And I saw a picture of that on Instagram. So that's legacy right there. And I love that she goes after the gusto. That's really cool. Well, I think that that is really what it's about. And she, again, reiterates how precious time is. And to really try to be focused on what you're doing, then you accomplish as much as you can, but not to just shotgun it. She wants to be able to be thorough. And I think that that's uh, something that even Rena can attest to is that she doesn't really want to do nine things at once, even though she doesn't mind, but she really wants them to be perfect one thing at a time. And that takes a lot of hard work and effort if you want to get it right. And you have to do that first before you go on to the next thing. Thanks for listening. Now I think I'm going to go call my dad. (laughs) 
I'll say goodbye and see you the next time. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy show. Join us weekly for new episodes and more daddy wisdom. Better Call Daddy is good advice always. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. You can also find special episodes on my YouTube channel, and you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, Alexa, or your preferred podcatcher. That's wrap for now.